Before we get into it, I need to remind you that I've got a Patreon. If you don't know what that is, it's where people can support their favorite content creators. And it's where I can basically create premium and behind the scenes content to help traders profit more on their football index journeys and basically help them become better traders. If you go over to patreon.com forward slash FI guide, that's patreon.com forward slash FI guide, you can basically check out the four different tiers on offer. Three pounds basically gets you the early access to the podcast and also five minutes extra on every Sunday figcast out there. The five pounds offer gets you a monthly blog post and a monthly podcast from myself private to those patrons only the eight pound tier gets you access to the fig discord which is a place where some of the best traders on the platform hang out and chat and uh, it's it's really awesome really enjoy it in there and the 12 pound tier gets you access to fig webinars which is where all the juicy stuff is that is where people guests or myself come and do a webinar every month for you know 45 50 60 minutes and last month's was by fi sigmund on the psychology of football index which i really really enjoyed and i'll definitely be putting out some snippets of that on youtube and such so do go check out the patreon p-a-t-i-e-o-n.com forward slash f-i guide Hello and welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 158. Thanks so much again for the recent support on something that was a little bit different. I, alongside uh, Sigmund and uh, Index Iceberg, did a survey to see what kind of traders people are uh, so you can check that out on my website footballindexguide.com um, on the blog page it's really cool it's called the ultimate football index questionnaire do jo- do go check that out uh, and thanks again for the amazing support on the podcast uh, last episode with uh, football indexer was awesome and also the previous panda cast oh god i've called it a panda cast against fitcast extra again is uh, <laughs> the support is always really welcome today i'm joined by a debutant uh Chris Barker. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, mate. Thank you. Uh, why don't you tell people more about yourself uh, and about your football index journey? Sure. So I uh, work in education, so completely disconnected to the world of FI. Um, I, was, I was talking to you briefly off air about sort of background and, you know, different communities I've sort of been in and how I felt that would uh, link into FI, really. So I suppose... If I trace it all back, I think football manager is where, for, like many people, that's where the sort of love of the strategy, the data, the football, all kind of started. Um, and then I think really moved on to really enjoying statistics in sport, really, particularly American sports. I got really into sabermetrics, basketball, baseball, um, people like Bill James, Billy Bean, obviously, John Hollinger, Kurt Goldsbury. So that was definitely a, a big part of it for me. And then... Um, as I kind of messaged you a little bit about, started getting really into online poker in the mid to late 2000s. And I think that that's had a massive impact on probably what are the biggest strengths of my game in terms of FI. Um, and in terms of the the journey, started on FI in 2019, midway through. So been on just, uh, just over a year, I'd say. Um, pretty casual to start with. And, you know, as I was saying, more immersive uh, I found it as I kind of delved into it more and more and, yeah, massively enjoying it now and um, investing, I suppose, more time and energy into it as I've uh, 
become more interested awesome yeah nice uh journey there i suppose there have been quite a few previous guests that have come from that poker background the kind of online poker scene when that started to boom so it is interesting to for people to kind of see fi as like another frontier of online gambling yeah definitely i mean I, you can definitely see the parallels in terms of the development of it um and hope, hopefully it's expansion and popularity you know, <laughs> because, of course, it, it poker blew up pretty, pretty massively. But, you know, as, as I was saying, I think that for me it was a, a, a huge part of my life for, for a while. And in a way, this has sort of um, filled, filled that vacuum because, you know, once I kind of got married and had, had my daughter and stuff, you know, poker is just such a uh, time-intensive activity. You know, you have to really spend – it's almost like a second job, and that's really what it was like for me when I was, when I was really kind of at the peak of my um, – energy i was putting into it and you know once i had <laughs> had my daughter that all had to change really so i've been pretty cold turkey since about 2013 with poker um but fi is a great yeah great great thing to fill that void yeah glad to hear that fi's kind of scratched that itch so to speak yeah <laughs> um i mean we'll, we'll get into some miscellaneous questions or comments uh, nice comments here perry fi from the discord the fig discord excellent great guest uh jordan k from the fig patron uh in the discord he says why is your profile picture jay diller and where does he rank in your top hip-hop producers yeah, I mean, hip hop is a, a really big part of my life as well, and something that I've you know been into for a huge amount of time. Um, why is Jay Diller my profile picture? Well, I guess a a bit of anonymity, <laughs> anonymity rather, I should say, for for myself um, as a as a teacher. So kind of keeping that that side of things a bit private. Um, on top of it, I guess it would be just just that he's probably my favorite producer in terms of where I'd rank him. I'd probably put him as, as number one, really. Um, I love lots of hip-hop producers, Ninth Wonder, Just Blaze, uh, DJ Premier, all the sort of classics, but uh, Dilla, Dilla is is probably my favourite, I would say. <laughs> awesome. Nice little, uh, <laughs> yeah, anonymity. Are you putting on a voice then, I suppose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a little uh, accent going on. Uh, Index Shredder here. Uh, apart from Prince William, are you Aston Villa's most famous fan? I mean, I think, you know, because he's a Wolves fan, he was just trying to take the piss a little bit here, I think. He was trying to play down the, the huge size of our club. But um, no, of course I'm not. I'm Aston Villa's biggest fan. We're everywhere. We're massive. You know, we've got Chris Wokes. We've got Ian Bell. We've got uh, Benjamin Zephaniah. We've had, well, David Cameron, shall we say. We've had many, many uh, famous people and we've got fans, you know, all across the world. <laughs> yeah, no fair play. <laughs> um, yeah, very well-prepped answer there, uh, Benjamin Zephaniah. <laughs> I never knew that. Interesting. Um, that question here from Nefu. Uh, what would you rather, a million Twitter followers or Villa winning the league? I mean, I, you know, is this even a question? Obviously, Aston Villa win the league. I mean, that would just be a dream for me. I mean, I was born in 81, which was the last time we won the league. So I have actually been on this planet when that's happened. But obviously, I did not get to uh, enjoy the moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to even quite envisage that Aston Villa could ever win the league again. But I would love to be around to witness that. I don't know if it makes you feel better. It is hard to envision it again, but you guys have started really well this season. Uh, <laughs> well, we're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, enjoy it while it lasts, I suppose. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> FI... It could end very quickly. <laughs> FI Taylor, intrigued to hear from someone who isn't from a financial background as someone from education myself. Interested to know how uh, you find balancing work and football index. How much research do you do before buying players? I mean, you mentioned that the, one of the reasons you stopped playing poker so avidly was simply due 
to the time constraints and how, how time intensive it was. Uh, have you found FI to be a little bit more passive? Yeah, I mean, it's just obviously the thing is of FI is you can you can dip in and out, can't you? You know, you, you don't have to sort of you know once you're playing poker and you know when I was doing that seriously, I was coming home from work and logging on probably seven o'clock and sometimes playing till two or three in the morning, playing twelve tables at a time. Just it's and once you start, you know, you get a five minute break every hour in the tournament scene and you know that's obviously incredibly uh, time time a big really big time commitment. So with FI, you know, you can sure you invest time and energy in, in it but it's not working around a structure which is imposed upon you it's one which you know you can choose yourself when you do spend that time and not so the flexibility of it is definitely um it's much more family friendly for me anyway yeah and i suppose the thing with poker there's no kind of set strategy which allows you to spend two hours a week on it if you wanted to make some yeah. big returns i suppose with fi you can alter your strategy to become more flexible uh depending on just how much time you have yeah, definitely. I mean, if you get you know any good at poker, what you're basically doing is just pushing, pushing an edge all the time. And the way you make more money is obviously by playing volume, and that's the, the you know that's the, the, tr- the truth of the matter. So you, you know if you uh, if you're making a five percent edge, but you can do that over multiple multiple tables over multiple multiple hours, obviously that's where you're making your your most money. Whereas with FI, absolutely like you say, you can be spend a lot of time doing it, or you can you can kind of um, yeah, dip in and out of it as, as, as you want to. Mm. Got a question here from Louis M. Does your education background help you make informed decisions or choice on FI? If so, how? And also, what's the beef with Duncan? <laughs> okay, so in terms of the education background, in terms of my job, I suppose, you know, superficially, you'd look at it and you'd think, well, you know, I'm trained as an English teacher. A senior leader in the school now. Um, what's he got to do a bit? But I, I think there are some things which are, which are beneficial. So you know, my job, I do a lot of data analysis. That's a a big part of my role, and um, using that data to I suppose find edges. You know, essentially in uh, in education in terms of the competition between schools and trying to trying to push schools up those league tables to also enable the pupils obviously to make the best possible progress. Um, so there's there's that element of it. Um, I think, you know, being a good teacher is about understanding people, how they tick. So I think that helps as well, you know, sort of being able to, you know, read people in terms of the, the trends that are happening in uh, in a world of FI and sentiment on Twitter and stuff like that. And, and, and just picking up on things perhaps a little bit more quickly than maybe some other people would. Um, it's, you know, it's a very pressurized job in many ways being a teacher. So I think when sort of stuff is hitting the fan in the you know Black Sunday sort of world of things, you you kind of learn to control your emotions and operate in a, in a way which is more about, um, you know, making the best possible decision rather than getting caught up in the emotion. And uh, lastly, I say, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm an English teacher. I'm a, a really voracious reader. So I, I think that, you know, that, that means that I do a lot of research in terms of my reading around, around the game of, of football itself. And, but also, you know, I've started to branch into doing some more reading around things like investments and stuff like that, which is something which is, you know, completely alien to me um, prior to starting on FI. And then, uh, well, let's, 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 let's get on to my friend Duncan. Uh, he's actually a fellow Villa fan, so really we should be uh, really tight. But I you guess should be pals, shouldn't you? Yeah, we should be. Well, maybe we can. We can you know, maybe we can make maybe you will be. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, what I would say really is that it's it's you know there's no real beef there at all. There's no real big problem at all. But in terms of what happened, I guess 
Um, just around a little bit after Black Sunday, I'd put a poll out into the community, which is really about trying to just capture the the sentiments and the views of people on, you know, the, the 300 share average and this being an issue. Um, and that poll got quite a lot of traction. And uh, and then he just he DM'd me out of the blue. Uh, never really had any contact with him before. <laughs> never seen him on the top time. Doesn't sound like he, Duncan at all. And he was like, uh, you know, he asked me a couple of questions and I basically admitted that, you know, I'd mangled the, the bid and offer terminology mm. in the first question he asked me. But then he sort of played dumb for 20 minutes messaging me, acting like he was um, an absolute novice who had no clue to market. It was some sort of weird entrapment sort of subterfuge going on. I don't know quite what he was, some weird role play. But uh, I kind of called him out on it in the end. And uh, that's sort of, that was the end of that really, I suppose. <laughs> uh, did you listen to the podcast he was on? Yeah, no, I thought he was. I thought he was good. You know, I thought he spoke well. Obviously, he knows his kind of, um, you know, his knowledge base is very, very different to mine in terms mm. of the the job he has and uh, that skill set. So yeah, you know, obviously, I uh, I tuned in as usual and uh, you know enjoyed it when you asked the question. I kind of thought, <laughs> I thought, would you ask it? And then he, obviously you did. But Duncan's more professional than me. He just dodged it. Because <laughs> I'm uh, happy to. Yeah, my dirty laundry. Um, I, I think he, he asks a lot of questions and, and I think um, I've spoken to Panda about this a lot. Like some of the smartest people I've ever met, uh, they tend to ask a lot of questions no matter how good they are um, or however, you know, you might think they might be very good at stuff, but you always want to learn more. And I think some of the questions that Duncan asked me via, via Twitter and stuff were so kind of granular that I was like, this would be this would make some really uh, good conversation for example he asked me some very kind of um very kind of intimate accountancy questions and i was like look i'm not going to lie to you i'm not an accountant i know the surface level uh way that fi works from an accountancy perspective but i'm not going to admit to know that i know the very very granular basics of it uh, the granular bits of it um so i kind of just put him in touch with um someone who probably might do uh someone who is got that kind of background so i think it's it's good to ask questions and i think a lot of people on fi twitter they uh it's very easy to, to appear quite grandiose and and kind of have this uh aura that you you don't really need any help about anything or you don't really need to uh you know have any questions answered because you you know everything whereas you know the, the reality of the matter is that we're all learning especially on a, on a platform so young yeah, I mean, listen, I, I absolutely agree with you. you know, obviously, my profession question, questions are king. But mm. It was, it wasn't, it was more just like he was playing dumb, you know. And it, I don't know quite what his angle was, but he was asking things that he definitely already knew the answer to. So that was where it was just a bit off key. But anyway, me and Duncan will catch up in Birmingham one day and share a pint and reminisce over this minor Twitter loop. I'm sure you will. Um, we've got a question here from Maximizer, FI Maximizer. Great guest. Name the fastest professional footballer that you'd back yourself to beat in a five-kilometre race. That, this is this is weird, isn't it? This is really weird. Well, he, I, I don't think... Basically, I think what this comes from is when we had this kind of a... There's, there's a while back when we were doing like a 5K, I think actually it might have been Logic or somebody who... Or, or Lamings, I can't remember who it was, who... He basically wanted to see who was the fastest um, member of the FI community. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. People like post, post, post in the times and whatever. And I got pretty decent 5K time. Um, so I think he probably has asked it off the back of that. So as I said to you, I've kind of t- taken this question and uh, gone away and, and, and done some research on it. So 
Basically, I mean, I mean, the first thing to sort of say as a disclaimer is, you know, it, it's a totally different kind of fitness. So, of course, football is all about sprints, short, sharp bursts, whereas, you know, 5K is sustained and, you know, kind of much more painful, I suppose, in many ways. And, and you know, unless you're James Rodriguez and you're just swaggering around the pitch doing zero sprints like you had that ridiculous stat for in, I think, the first game of the season, then obviously, you know, you are doing loads of sprints, you're, you know, you're jumping, you're lunging, there's all that sort of thing. And there's, <clears throat> there is obviously lots of pauses in the middle of it. So, of course, there's incredible athletes in, in Premier League or any of the, the big leagues, um, but, you know, they obviously don't train for that kind of thing. So, you know, in short, I, I think that if they kind of adapted their training, there'd be loads, you know, it'd be a good number, it'd be very, very good 5k runners. Um, but, to be honest with you, as it as it kind of stands, I, I don't think I don't think very many would be actually that good if you just got them to uh, go and do a race this weekend, for example. So my best time last year was sixteen forty seven. Now this year I'm having an injury nightmare, so I'm not in, in particularly good form. But that that's sort of seventeen point eight kilometers an hour. So that's, that's pretty quick. Yeah, you're shifting pretty fast for you know sixteen minutes and forty seven seconds. So it's quite hard. So I, I genuinely think that. Possibly five percent of the league could do that. Being being genuinely honest, um, I know that in the lockdown there was some some stuff going around with some of the other. I think there's some sort of charity thing going. <laughs> was it Ross Barkley doing it in about seven minutes? <laughs> yeah, well, he, yeah. Well, he, he he got caught, didn't he? With his pants down, Barkley doing some dodgy uh, fake time. But McTominay apparently did sixteen oh one, which is really really that's good ridiculous. i mean that's that's pretty much pretty close to elite running considering he's you know not not a runner i saw like lingard did 1830 and i think that's probably where lots of the lots of the premiership players would be somewhere around 18 sort of minute mark um the question was like you know who do i think i could beat his fast i mean i think a lot of the sprinters wouldn't even be necessarily that good so people like you know bamiyang adama i i think i'd absolutely it's interesting you them. say that I, I i had someone tell me once that um Bamiang is the fittest player they've ever seen at wow, London really? Coney. Yeah, interesting. I, I I was really shocked as well because I was yeah. like, you'd think his he was he would be just like fast twitch it's just guy. fast yeah. twitch, right? But uh, apparently yeah. he's his fitness is is off the charts. Whether that means long running or just he turns yeah, back up at, um, after kind okay. of preseason uh, or after the off season, right? And he's just raring to go or ready to go naturally. I don't know, but it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, maybe I wouldn't be smoking him after all. Uh, Adama, Adama, I'm, I'm confident I could absolutely leave him. <laughs> um, and then, so yeah, I was trying to think like, you know, who, who would be really good? And because uh, I think it's in a way, it's probably the ones who you would be a bit surprised if so. I, I know that Milner, for example, was a, an incredible, incredible junior cross country runner. And Gareth, Gareth Bale was as well. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, I think he was under 18 world champion, I think. So Bloody obviously hell. Milner, McTominay, Bale. I think Kante would probably be amazing. I mean, he's got the perfect, perfect build for it. As for Laqueta, I just think he looks like he's, he's got a real energy on him. He's got that kind of gritty determination. And then uh, James Ward-Prowse, I reckon, would be also really good. He always comes right at the top of the uh, total distance ran in the Premier League season. So that would be my, my tips for who would be pretty deadly on the track <laughs> yeah i mean i'm looking at what was scott McTominay? it was just over 16 minutes 1601 yeah i mean that is serious and serious the world record there. is 1237 i'm just reading here yeah yeah but if you're if you're an, you know, an amateur and you're running in the 16s you're you're you know in the top sort of half half percentage basically mm, mm. 
Um, bloody hell, that is mad. 1601, Jesus. Fair play. Um, got a question here from Tony Graham. Uh, how many dividends will Greedish win this season? And do you expect him to be at Villa at the start of next season? Okay, so I'll answer the second part first. I mean, he'll 100% be Aston Villa next season. Um, probably playing for us in the Champions League, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but if, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in terms of dividends, I, I think that, um, you know, if he captains us to the league title, he'll probably win about £2. But if he, if we get middle of the table, which is obviously much more likely, I could see Grealish doing, doing better this season on the dividends. I mean, l- last year, I think his ex deals was 11 pence. Um, he's obviously already done 14p this year. Uh, I, I reckon he could win about 40 pence maybe in PB this year with the increase maybe a little bit more who knows because obviously we're a bit better this year and um you know i saw someone done some 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 work last week on his kind of scores of a goal win games and stuff and it's definitely up there in terms of someone that could win a positional bronze i mean positional gold day um and then the, the media obviously depends doesn't it uh, last year he had i think 31 pence obviously off the back of the united speculation um, but I don't see him having too much transfer speculation. But you never know if we're up, if he's doing absolutely brilliantly. Maybe you will see a bit more of that. The England stuff is obviously the the wild card, you know, and uh, that growing rift between him and Southgate might mean that you know potentially could get up to maybe forty p of media. So I kind of calculated it up to be maybe about eighty p ish. Uh, which would be which would be a pretty good return for his price and his age, I suppose. That would be loads, though. Eighty p in, in media this season for Greenish. That would be... no, no, forty. Oh, 40. Media, 40 <laughs> I've just randomly so doubled 80, it. <laughs> yeah, eighty total. So eighty total. Uh, being optimistic about Villa's chances. That's fair. That's not. Uh, that's not too outlandish. Yeah, I mean. Um... It's it's not unachievable, uh, but things would yeah. have to go his way. I think. Uh, were you surprised to see him sign a contract in the summer? Uh, sort of yes and no. I mean, I was surprised that nobody else has picked him up because you know I'm just so bullish about what a good player Jack Grealish is, um, and I, and I think he would have been the perfect sort of Man United signing, you know. And I think for the price they would have got him for, you know, he. he he probably, they probably could have gone for 65, 70 million. I think he would have been a lot a lot better than... He would have been someone who could fit in straight away multiple positions, probably better than Sancho, to be honest with you. Um, but I think ultimately our price was too high for people. They didn't really see him as being worth that much money. And then when you looked around the league, about you know, where he would have fit in, there wasn't really you know a natural suitor for him, perhaps, in, in, in many ways. Um, so... I, I wasn't totally shocked he stayed, but I was more surprised that other clubs haven't perhaps realised what a good signing he would be for them. I mean, I thought like, you know, Arsenal, he'd have been a brilliant signing for you guys, but um, <laughs> obviously... That, no chance we would have afforded him though, to be fair. Yeah, well, that's it. I think our price was perhaps what we valued him at and the fact we didn't have to sell um, made a huge difference. Of course, if we'd got relegated, he would have gone, you know, without doubt hmm. uh, last question here in the miscellaneous section uh, Lewis Turner after grilling me on Screelish could you please ask Chris what went wrong with this transfer and he's pointing to a, a tweet about Sancho I believe here yeah I mean Lewis is just you know he's just really bitter isn't he about the fact that he'd kind of proclaimed that Grealish was 100% going he had this inside source of some dodgy in the know <laughs> and I basically I basically retweeted it you know because he was like listen let's just see at the start of the season and the start of the season came and I just retweeted it and got loads of likes and he was really sad and didn't like it. So the, the answer to Lewis's question, I'll dignify the response. It's pretty simple, isn't it, really? I mean, 
Woodward happened. You know, Woodward is the problem here. You know, we all know that all the stars were aligned for Sancho to join, but ultimately Woodward did not uh, did not get the get the deal done. But I, I don't mind. I mean, I've got you know a big percentage of my port is in Sancho, and I'm ultimately betting on Sancho's career, and I'm very happy with that bet. You know, so uh, it's a bet I'm comfortable with, and uh, it's a bet that's been profitable, and I'm sure it's going to be uh, even more profitable in the future. Mm. Um, I mean, do you think that saga will, will be going ongoing for the next 12 months? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't lie. I, I was definitely in the camp of people who, you know, wanted the transfer to go through this summer and uh, to reap the benefits of it. I mean, in reality, with the, the state of FI at the time of the, the end of the window, you know, it, it's definitely a strong argument that it wouldn't have been a good time for Sancho to go through. We, we wouldn't have seen the rise that it would have merited you know, in, in normal circumstances. Um, and of course, you know, if he kind of did three pounds in the, in the last year, essentially we're just rinse repeating exactly the same cycle. So what's, what's not to like in many ways, I guess the, the, the downside from my end is just the one that many other people have spoken about is the fact that there'll be competition for Sancho uh, this time next year. And, Obviously, Man United is the club which is the the most profitable one for him to move to from an FI point of view. So, you know, if he goes to certain other clubs, you know, the the uh, the returns aren't going to be as good. So, that's that's the uh, the downside. But on balance, it's it's certainly not a bad problem to have. I think we're going to see a lot of dividends over the course of the year, and um, hoping he has a great season. Let's see, let's see. Um, yeah. Just before we move on, I need to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by index gain um if you guys haven't already seen they've uh now created a feature that monitors all the action happening underneath the buy price uh with spread monitoring uh you know looking at player spread changes the big spread moves are now posted to their brand new channel on slack hashtag premium underscore spreads underscore alerts and very soon straight to your phone via notifications for the players you're holding and watching which i think is is pretty amazing if you guys haven't already checked out please do go check that out over in indexgame.co.uk uh if you use the code fig 2020 you get five quid off your first month or off your six month membership and you get a free month with your six month membership as well uh, if you go for that so it's pretty good value for money um got a couple of questions here about your strategy Chris, uh, old man FI, what is your strategy and how did you devise it? What are the main drivers behind it as well? Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, many people, uh, when I first joined, I, I didn't really have a huge, huge kind of clue of what I was doing. And I'm, I think what I was really trying to do is just kind of buy players that I thought were good relative to uh, the price of people I thought were less good than them. Um, and that, you know, that didn't work out too badly, to be honest, to start with. Um, I think once the dividend increase came in, the first one, the fifty-seven percent one last year, that was when I sort of moved moved more to towards the dividend returners. Um, my main strategy, I suppose, is built around young premium talents um, who already return dividends and whom I think are capable of, you know, even bigger dividend returns in the future. That's that's definitely the core of the core of my port. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, don't come from any kind of really investment background, so I didn't really appreciate, I think, at the start, just how powerful compounding is um and that's that's really been a the, you know the bedrock of what i've been doing and the way in which i've uh, managed to build my port size quite quickly um and you know if you haven't got access to huge sums of liquid cash you know that compounding is definitely uh, the way to go um in terms of of that as well you know it's just so nice when you've got players in your port who 
you know you've built a strong position in purely from you know dividend return, returns of others. So you know I've got players like Pavard and Renato Sanchez who I've got quite a good holding in who I've just built that purely from compounding um, you know from Sancho and and Bruno amongst others. Um, on, on top of that sort of core strand, I think what I've started to do a lot more is you know be more flexible and take more opportunities um, when they present themselves. So the IPD promo was something which I, I took quite heavy advantage of, um, but not in a not in really a way of just chasing pure IPD players. Although I did do a little bit of that, I tended to use it as a springboard to jump onto people who have fought with good long term holds who. Um, and you would also benefit from the from the IPD promo. Um, so people like Baradi, Hakimi, um, are, are two I kind of went into fairly heavily in the, the IPD strategy and have, have kept. Um, and you know, from purely IPD point of view, one of my sort of better better holds recently has been has been Caputo. I mean, he's almost paid for himself already. I've only had him for about sort of six weeks. And then post order book, I've, I've sort of adapted a little bit as well with you know players who have not bounce back to close to their pre-audible prices who I still think are really good players and who just haven't kind of got either the sentiment or who haven't for some reason um, you know been brought back in any kind of volume recently so I've, I've got a few of those I've, I've uh, made moves into as well but again with those you know if they I'm in no rush to sell them at the same time you know I, I think they're, they're good long-term holds as well so most of my port is connected to an idea of holding for a fairly decent amount of time however I am sort of diversifying a little bit and you know picking price points to exit some of these players a little bit more um, particularly than perhaps I am with some of my you know bigger long-term holds like Sancho and Bruno and stuff awesome awesome did you do the uh, survey questionnaire today I did. I actually ended up almost bang in the middle. Ah, interesting. Like, yeah, like almost right on the cross. Yeah, a bit strange. Maybe not as long term as you thought. No, yeah, I surprised, <laughs> surprised myself. Uh, you can check that out on my website, footballindexguide.com. Just head over to the blog page and you go for the uh, ultimate FI questionnaire. Uh, we've got a question here from Jordan K from the FIG Discord. Since starting in mid-2019, has your strategy adapted with the change of circumstances FI have made? The, the 57% dividend increase to transfer bonuses and super match day dividends, five times in play dividends, order books, and now the 100% dividend increase. And if not, do you think adapting your strategy to the change of circumstances would have been more profitable? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've touched on quite a bit of that. I mean, I, I definitely have a sort of, you know, a core strategy. And I think that um, perhaps one of my sort of weaknesses to start with was almost being a little bit uh, gun shy in terms of pulling the trigger and moving moving on to certain people. But then I think I started almost doing that a little bit too much. And I, and I think that, you know, once... Um, FI took away the IS in many ways. That was almost a bit of a blessing in disguise for me because I sort of had to really be a bit more careful about my selection of players and uh, really understand exactly why I was buying them. Um, so I, I actually think that's been quite beneficial to me in terms of my understanding of yeah, the rationale behind players and you know letting the market come to me rather than sort of you know liquidating holds and hopping from one thing to the other. I think that was quite a big leak in my uh, in my profit to, to sort of start with. Um, in terms of kind of adapting, I, I do think it's important to have a core strategy, but also to you know be willing to branch out into different 
different parts, like I said, when the opportunity presents itself. I mean, some of the promotions, like the Super Match Day, for example, I didn't really, you know, do anything uh, different different in that time. But um, like I mentioned in the the IPD Bonanza, you know, that that was just too too, um, too enticing really to t- turn down. And I did, I was conscious of kind of not getting caught holding players, so I didn't want to have long term. Um, so I think it's important not just to be completely sort of, uh, you know, fully committing to, to, to new things when they present themselves because sometimes in that rush and that panic you can make silly mistakes and uh, and get caught with something which you you know you, you, you don't really want perhaps buying at the kind of peak or realizing you can't sell for a decent price so I think whatever you do it's important to to understand why you're doing it um, because I think otherwise that's that's where problems can really start to arise when you're just doing things because you've read on Twitter that that's a good idea and oh we should all be buying these kind of players now and I've definitely been burnt in the past you know um, I think when the 57% div increase came you know I like many people piled into loads of the you know the, the kind of senior PB players and uh, caught some really good rises on them but then held on to them for way too long and lost quite a lot of my profit off the back of those um, so I think yeah understanding your your process and your reasoning behind doing something is is a really important element of uh, you know making making decent profit on this platform and I, I mean the process is just as important as the kind of end result you know you you could buy an aging pb player and they win dividends and uh, you sell them for higher um but you might do it four times more five times more and maybe not profit and you might be like well that's not the process that I would employ or better that's not the process that I'm good at employing when I'm trading I think I saw a few tweets today where it was like oh I bought this player for like 9p and I sold him for 25p and you know there was a lot of like love for it etc and the first thing I thought of was like the probabilities around doing that across like 20 different players is pretty tough it's also not scalable and it also is incredibly hard to pick, you know, four or five players that are going to do 200% from 10p to 30p. It's incredibly hard. And it also means you can only hold a certain amount of that player before rising them a significant amount of uh, in, in price. This doesn't mean that it's um, not good to buy players that are that cheap. I'm just trying to say that, like, the process that you employ is definitely just as important as kind of like the the end results. And I think the best traders that I know on this platform are the ones that kind of, they, they don't get uh, buoyed by the, um, you know, the ups of a of a 10% week or a 5% week. And they, they don't get really rattled by a, a 5% down week. They just seek out a thesis of value that they trust themselves with. And they continue buying with that process in mind and that thesis in mind those types of players and they just basically keep on compounding and building them yeah i mean i think that there's a a few things on that that are really tightly connected to my poker background and and why why that's been really helpful i mean i I think that although obviously a game like poker's got far more variance and it's it's a a bigger potentially a bigger element of luck involved in poker i do think people really underestimate how much luck is uh, at play in fi as well you know in terms of you know, player hitting the post when they would have had a goal-winning game or somebody getting an injury or you just decide, you know, sometimes you're on the fence about buying or selling someone and you just decide on one rather than the other and that, that can make quite a, a dramatic impact. So I, I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of, you know, the importance of not being results-orientated and being process-driven and that that's what good poker players do. You know, you can be, 
you can be playing absolutely terribly and win over a really significant, pretty significant sample of hands, you know, just because you're running, you know, running really well. Um, you know, if you look at, let's say, poker, you know, the strongest hand ace ace against the weakest seven to off suits, you know, the, the weakest hand will still win 12% of the time. And, you know, that's relevant to FI because, you know, when the index is flying, it's hard not to make money and you can get really overexcited by how well you think you're doing. But, when you're in a sticky patch, you know, when the index is in a sticky patch, sorry, you could be trading like perfectly and struggle to make a penny. And if you're just results orientated, you know, you won't necessarily realize when you're trading well or trading badly. And that's why I think you have to have, you know, a, thought, a really good thought process and a rationale of what you're doing rather than looking at the outcome. And in my experience, you know, poker and FI, that it's almost more important to be most reflective when things are going at their best, which is perhaps a bit counterintuitive. Um, and I think that's when you should almost look to, you know, potentially make a bit, perhaps some more changes if you realise that, you know, you are perhaps being a little bit lucky or whatever. And in some respects, it's almost better to tinker around less and stay really true to your fundamentals when things aren't going so well with the market. And, you know, just almost stick to your bread and butter at that point. And, uh, you know, the worm will turn, so to speak. Yeah, complacency is a killer. I mean, when you're doing well, it's very easy to think that, you know, the results are because your process was great um and it's very easy also to think that when you're not doing well it's because your process was wrong whereas it's like the the unnatural thing to do is think uh you know the process is right even if the results are wrong kind of thing um and it's it's very interesting it's like if you are doing well that respect that you're talking about um it, it's better to do it while you're kind of ahead in the race if that makes sense it's better when you're it's better to kind of um it, or it's easier to maneuver when you're ahead of the, in the race rather than when you're catching up and, and almost um uh treading water so to speak yeah, I mean, and I think that, you know, you're, you're more likely to be in a better headspace when things are going yeah. well as well. So you're, you're much more likely to be rational and ignore the emotion of things. And I think that that's something which, you know, I, I've really kind of over the years just become really disciplined through, through poker. But, you know, I've thrown most of my money into FI during, you know, the COVID crash, you know, the other dip in the summer, post order books. That's when I put the majority of my money into, into football index because, you know, sure, you can look at the, the numbers on the screen and that can be quite, you know, dispiriting. But ultimately, I knew that the fundamental reason why I was putting that money in was, was sound and, and logical. Um, and I think that that's something just that you have to, to really try to do is to just almost detach yourself from that number on the screen and really try and think about things as logically and uh, without emotion as possible. And if you do that, that gives you the best possible chance of success, really. Wise words, wise words. Uh, we've got a question here from Martin B. Uh, which players, if any, that are still in your portfolio have paid for themselves already with dividends and or capital appreciation from trading? It's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, post Black Sunday, he's, he's having a bit of a laugh, isn't he? I think. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, no, is, is the short answer. I mean, I was looking, uh, you know, through my port, hoping to find one that had, had hit this magic number. But at the moment, uh, the, cl the closest I've got is Caputo, who I sort of bought in the IPD promo. He's, he's 82% of the way there already, and I've only had him for six weeks. So oh, wow. I think, I think that, um, you know, I kind of bought him at a good time before I was sort of caught on. Um, to his kind of value as an IPD hold. And I, d I do think that even, even with the promo ending, you know, the move from the to, to two and four P is, is been quite underappreciated really um, in terms of just 
how much these these guys can return these these, these players who are you know, it's quite a lot of players who are under 50 60p who are very very capable of, of putting in you know an IPD every single week they play um, so although I've only really got a couple of IPD pure IPD holds um, when I was kind of looking through my uh, portfolio and seeing how you know who had kind of returned the most of that in the most recent times you know it, it did sort of stand out to me that perhaps I need to uh, have a bit more of a dabble in that end of the market. Yeah, I mean, the the in-play dividend promo was, of course, fantastic. And I mean, I still think the in-play dividends are now quite uh, generous. So I'm sure we will see a lot more people dabbling in in in-play dividends um, in the future. Yeah, when you look, obviously, at team of the month, the payouts for team of the month, mm. you know, you know, the defenders, the defender scores a goal, it's 4p, you know, and that's, that's, uh, what is that? That's better than second place in the, the team of the month for positional. So, yeah, I think uh, they're, they're pretty un- underrated at the moment in terms of how lucrative they are. Yeah, I think it's almost uh, the team of the month thing, the way I see it, is that uh, this was a kind of, uh, you know, a test to see how these longer term divs make the market move. And I think one that once they're integrated into the app, they can finally see what the effect it has on traders. So I think that's going to be something to watch over the next 12 months, isn't it? Do you think, yeah, do you think they'll, they'll potentially look to increase that then? Um, I'm not too sure. I think it depends when they, uh, you know, when, uh, when they are part of the app and, and how traders react to them. I think if people are not trading for them, then FI may be like, well, are we sure this is going to want wants to be a, a core part of our platform? I think that the other thing is like what they've seen with these wild swings in price is that maybe in the future there does need to be some sort of um, more consistent dividend, which actually rewards uh, players for consistency of performance and not just kind of peaks and troughs because um, it would create this kind of base layer of value and, and whether it's... Um, you know, in FI's interest from a business model to do that, I'm not too sure, but I think they probably are starting to experiment in that way with with Team of the Month. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, your point about, you know, will people trade for them? I mean, I think at the moment, the potentially the returns on Team of the Month may not be big enough, yeah. uh, you know, to really entice people to do that. They're currently a bonus. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know... Uh, if FI really want to see volumes moved on to that sort of more long-term trading, uh, big volumes and, and big money, then those rewards need to be greater. But I don't think that's maybe a, a conversation for now. That might be a conversation for, for August next year. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we've got a question here from Joe Felix. What player in both of your portfolios have you remained faithful to and continue to hold despite negative or no price movement? Um, well, I've got I've got a couple, I suppose. I mean, the one who is just um, I don't particularly have I don't have very many of them at all. But Buendia is one which who I've just sort of stayed stayed faithful to because you know I was pretty convinced he was going to get a move, obviously from Norwich, um, and of course that's not materialised. So that's been a bit of a nightmare. Uh, but I was even looking at his stats last night. I mean, he was playing Birmingham City, so I mean any, anyone can do well against them. But I did I did note that he uh, you know he, he had a lot of t- you know. Hell of a lot of touches, a lot of key passes, and he does seem, you know, super matrix friendly. So in the, in the right team, I think he could be a good hold. So he's someone who I've, you know, bought bought pretty much at peak, and I'm currently sitting on a, you know, pretty big loss on him. But um, 
I'm so, a, I can't sell him at the moment because no one wants to buy him. But uh, B, I, I am pretty confident at some point, you know, he he's uh, he will get a move hopefully to a, a team where he can sort of show his stuff. How about you? Um, I'm probably going to skip this one actually. Uh, I revealed maybe too many cards on the the round table recently, so I'll uh, I'll leave that for you. Uh, I've got a question here from Fi Anonymous from the Fig Discord. Uh, with the new order book system, who do you think? would give the biggest total return in the upcoming 12 months in the following scenario scenario a Jaden sancho with a similar season as last year or b a 20 year old striker at say one pound 50 or two pounds that has a breakthrough season and scores four goals in the champions league <laughs> yeah i mean has there ever been that? a 20 year old striker at that kind of price point to score four goals in the champions league yeah but i i, I okay so i was sort of taking that as uh he would score four oh, goals in the, the total league campaign yeah, so I, I, that's, that was the way I, I sort of um, was thinking about the question because, but potentially I'm thinking about it wrong because then the answer seems almost too obvious that, that Sancho would just be the bigger returner. You know, if Sancho does the same as last year, sort of three poundish and uh, a 20 odd scores four goals across a campaign, it's, he's not going to do that in cap app, uh, and you wouldn't have thought he'd get the end of, obviously the PB or the MB returns at the back of that. So to me, if he's asking it in that way, I'd say you know. Um, it would be Sancho pretty easily and equally I suppose if you look at it the other way and you know you've got a flash in the pan guy who just scored four goals in a game yeah you'd probably get some instant rockets but obviously it would depend on kind of what happened afterwards I mean you know last year the, you know, Haaland scored eight goals for Salzburg I think um, at, at, at 20 years old and obviously his price was I think he got up to about five pounds didn't he on the yeah, move to Dortmund before he before he kind of rocketed again. Yeah, I think he he got to maybe five six with the the United yeah. links dropped to about just four under four yeah. at Dortmund and then went back up basically again. Yeah, but I mean he's an absolute freak, isn't he? So he is know, a freak. His goal output is just ridi- absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It's like a goal again. I mean, hypothetically, you know? you'd probably say the twenty-year-old striker, but I guess it, it goes back to the point that I was making about picking those players that are under thirty p or under fifty p, right? Like there are going to be loads of those strikers who, you know, don't like. It's harder to pick them. Like there are going to be fewer yeah. people getting those winners, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I'm not the way I was looking at it as well. It's like, you know, if it's 20 year old, if it's 20 year old is that good that they're scoring four goals in Champions League, we probably already know about them and they've probably already got a decent price point behind them anyway because they've been attracted. Attra- if they're starting for the, in the Champions by, League. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I, I'm going to stick with Sancho. I mean, the other thing is, I was having a conversation recently with someone uh, about kind of the lack of quality in the under 23 striking department. In, in Europe. I mean, I've got up here the most valuable players according to transfermarket.co.uk. Um, I'll shout out PB man for this one. This is what we were talking about earlier uh, on Twitter. And he was talking about how there's just a lack of really good strikers coming through at the under 23 level. I mean, top is, as we mentioned, Erling Haaland, 20, uh, valued at 72 million pounds, probably worth way more that than that. But this is transfer markets. So again, don't laugh at me, laugh at them. What, is it more than, more than Mbappe? Uh, I mean, they haven't counted Mbappe as like a central striker, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah. But for some reason, they have Richarlison. So, you know, there's caveats here. Uh, Lautaro mm. Martinez, 63 million. Yeah. Richarlison, third, 54 million. Jesus, 54 million. Victor Osman, 36 million. Tammy Abraham, 36 million. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, 36 million. Fabio Silva, 22.5 million. Moise Keane, 22.5 million. Daniel Malin, who's just come back from being 12 months out, 22.5 million. Luka Jovic, who looks to be flopping at Real Madrid, 22.5 million. Rafael Leao, who's who's not playing consistently at Milan, 21.5 million. Kasper Dolberg, 
20, 20 wow. million. Ishak, 19 million. Wesley at Villa, 19.8 million. <laughs> Pax and Dakar, 18 million. Eddie and oh Ketia, 18 million. So this is like the top 20, right? And you're getting, you're getting down the, down, scraping down. the barrel already, aren't you? Yeah, you're getting, when Wesley's coming into the picture, you're, you're scraping the barrel. Well, you're first. getting down to 23 and 24th on this list and you've got uh, Briel and Bolo and Patrick Catrone. Respectively, and again, this is well, not I mean, in stone. It's it's transfer market, but it feels like mm-hmm. there isn't a dearth of attacking or centre forward talent, at least in Europe at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's not many on that list to sort of strike fear into your heart at the idea of you, you know coming up against them with your team. Uh, it's it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, even once you even once you get past the first couple, really, you know, you'd say there's pretty substantial flaws in in all of their games, really. Um, you know, I've I've kind of been a Jesus holder in the past, and a few of us on that, that list. But yeah, there's uh, there's and a, a lot of them, you know, are people I'd sort of st- actually, funnily enough, even though the age is really appealing, I've steered clear of quite a few of those on that list because of sort of hesitations and uh, worries about yeah you know, their viability as sort of good PB holds. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I understand the question that Anonymous has asked, and it's it's kind of more in the hypothetical sense. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's harder to pick those guys. And I think if it's a player that's starting in the Champions League week in, week out, it's, it's you know it's harder to get them on the cheap. Uh, got a question here from Fi Gardener. I know it's a way off, but which three players are you looking forward to I, uh, being IPO'd? Yes, I mean, it's, you know, there's obviously the, the the ones we all know about, the Cocos, the Rainers, etc. But I'm gonna bring out three that probably most most people unless they're Aston Villa fans haven't heard of um, we've had like a massive um, rebuild of our youth system which you know since Grealish hasn't really churned out anyone of note um, but we basically poached all of uh, West Brom's staff um, we've had a really good recruitment um, of, of youth players in our area and uh, we've we've done pretty well since so I'm going to give you three who are all at Aston Villa at the moment playing for the 23s who for various reasons, are supposed to be really hot prospects. So Louis Barry, you might have heard of. He's the he was at West Brom and he went to Barcelona. Plays for England. Um, but as soon as we poached the head coach from uh, the youth team at Albion, he came and uh, joined Villa. So he's back at Villa now and he scored two goals the other night in the 23s when we beat Wolves. Uh, second one is uh, Carney Chuameka, who is a uh, looks ridiculous on. Um, Every clip I've seen of him, he, he's like a baby Pogba, but uh, with more of a, a work rate. He's really, really a statuesque guy, tall, strong, powerful, fast, but has got ridiculously good technique. And he actually just coincidentally signed a new his first professional contract with us today. And the last one, I haven't seen much of this guy, but I just keep reading about him on um, sort of Villa, Villa forums and stuff, is Kane Kessler, who's uh, right back, who's apparently just absurdly fast and uh, a real talent so free to potentially look out for uh, from from Villa who haven't really generated many good youth players for a while but hopefully we'll we'll start doing so now up for Villa I guess yeah <laughs> well, well in general you know IPOs are you looking forward to them are you kind of hesitant to see no. how the market will react to them considering there's not that much thickness at the moment and and kind of a new way that we'll see IPOs happen yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did when I was sort of prepping for this question. The first thing I sort of put was, you know, don't want any for a while because certainly for me, you know, I'm still seeing people on the timeline, 
you know, kind of begging for IPOs and wanting them. And, and, and to me, it would just be a, a really bad mistake, you know, in terms of diluting the market uh, even further than we already know it's, it already is thin. So definitely don't want any for a while, but I suppose it's a really tricky balancing act for FI because, you know, you've got players who are top, top class that everyone knows about and new users will be coming onto the platform and be will be searching for those players, I'm sure. And to not have them on there, is also problematic. So it's quite a different, difficult balancing act in terms of being really aware of what this will do to the market, but also wanting to make sure it is reflective of you know the best young players in the world. Yeah, it's they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because the lag's yes, been so big now with FI. So it is a, a bit of an issue and one that we're going to have to... Uh, I mean, the 100% increase was supposed to gobble up those IPOs, but now with the way the sentiment is and, and the lack of liquidity, FI are going to probably have to um, make sure there are things in place before IPOs actually start to happen. Uh, just before we move on, I need to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by The Athletic. Uh, the Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee and Rafa, Raf, Rafa? Rafa Honigstein. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else. No ads or clickbait. Just great sports writing. So for 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around, go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig you said you're a big reader chris uh fan of the athletic yeah i am actually i i, I joined this summer i think yeah probably june or july um definitely really really good for you know i mean i'm into loads of different sports but I, the coverage of aston villa is really good i really like that on there it, it, the guy who writes that is a uh, is a uh, he used to write for the local paper and he's a you know he's a good journalist and um Gets gets stuck in some really good stories, but it's you know their, their American content is really really good as well. And as I mentioned at the start, you know, I'm really into the NBA and follow that really really closely, and also NFL and even a bit of baseball. So yeah, I think uh, definitely well worth the money. Awesome, awesome. Uh, if you guys do want to go check that out for only two pound ninety nine a month, go over to theathletic.co.uk/slash/fig. Anything you've bought recently for more than two ninety nine, Chris? Uh, ooh, I bought my daughter a lovely Halloween bath bomb. Oh, the nice! Other day. She was very happy with that. Wonderful! I bought a um, imagine this a fucking egg and crash sandwich um, <laughs> for four pound twenty five the other day. Wow! And like a a calf in a. It wasn't particularly good. It was just pretty average. But it's one of those um, in mm. in like a a park cafe where you just kind of you bite the bullet. Yeah, don't you? Yeah. You just get rinsed. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. You, they know you're. They're rinsing you as well, and they're looking <laughs> at you in the eyes like we're mugging you off. We're mugging you off, and I'm like, yes, I'm being mugged off. But yeah. here we are. Uh, got a question here from Fi Stratches from the Fig Kit Kids Discord. I've forgotten how to speak today. The Fig Discord. Does he does he have a method for working out the expected dividends a player will earn in their career? Can you talk through one of your valuations? Yeah, so you know, compared to probably some people, my, mine is potentially quite crude um, in comparison to the top, certainly to the top traders and the, the stats guys. So my sort of process, I suppose, would be to look at lots of different things and then come to a you know kind of judgment. So I'd start off by looking at kind of the past earnings. Uh, I'd look at peak peak age returns for that position and consider how how much better their returns could be. Um, I'd think about their development. You know, do I decide to develop in their PB game? Um, consider how circumstances could change sort of positively or negatively. Um, and I think, you know, beyond that, what I definitely look to do is, is just to, to take in that breadth of information. And then once I've done that, to, to think about 
um, a few more different stats, things like trends in terms of their touches, their, their goal actions, the XG, team's trajectory, possession stats. And then I'd, I'd kind of put a, you know, a conservative 10% increase you know, in terms of the divs each year. And then I'd think about you know, what that looked like um, in, in reality. So let, let's kind of go through an example. Um, so Rashford, I suppose, would be would one I've been, you know, constantly championing and, uh, and, and thinking about. So, you know, last 12 months did just over a pound. Um, you know, we know that forwards best earnings are tend to be in their, their late 20s, early 30s. Obviously, he's only 22. Um, thinking about his circumstances, you know, will he get back onto penalties maybe in his career? Possibly, but that is a bonus. He does seem to be, you know, on an upward trajectory of assisting and scoring more. And, you know, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, foolish to think that could continue. Um, could be wrong, but I do see him as probably a lifer at Man United, uh, and that's obviously good for him and his price. Uh, Greenwood and Sancho, that is a shadow that is, a, a, you know, likely negative. Although I suppose you could argue that he may have more chances and may create more assists off the back of that when he's surrounded by better players in a in a superior team as as they grow together. They'd be obviously all in a similar age. You know, his stats are trending upwards in nearly all areas. So he's getting considerably more touches than he was two years ago. You know, will, will that continue? Um, hard to say. It's been pretty similar in this small sample of the first five games of the season versus last season. So perhaps there will be some stagnation there dependent on his role. Uh, obviously, the, the divs are going to increase. And, you know, I do think his performance can get better. And he's got, got 10 years ahead of him. So when I kind of look at it, you know, I was looking at it from a, I was looking at it, I suppose, from quite a pessimistic uh, point of view in terms of putting a pound in and then just kind of increasing that by 10% each year and seeing what that, that churns out over 10 years. And, you know, I did that and it, it, it puts him at 1593, you know, in terms of returns over the next fifth, uh, over the next 10 years. Now, obviously, you know, progression is not necessarily going to be linear and lots can go wrong, but, you know, arguably more more could go right and could go wrong here. And, you know, even if I was to do something really crude at this point and just half that, which is obviously mental and you know, not, not something I think would be accurate, he still means he's, you know, his value should be just under £8. So to me, by kind of working through the process, you know, I don't think you can really accurately model the career dividends of a player. But if I do that process I've just been through, you know, I, I can be very confident that Rashford is very undervalued. And, you know, as a consequence of that, I'm happy to keep keep buying more of him. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really tough to kind of work through that because there are so many factors. I mean, it's really impossible to say exactly what will happen to any player. Uh, a shift in position, a shift in, in anything really can mean that their expected divs completely change. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's why, I mean, I, I do think personally, if, you, if, you're, if you're picking, you know, young players who are already returning a decent amount of divs, they seem so dramatically undervalued that even even if you are being you know potentially a bit optimistic your valuation, you, you can you can see just how much wiggle room there is for margin of error that you would still be making a really good purchase, and that that tends to be the kind of players that I'm you know piling the most cash into because I, I just sort of fail to see how it's not a good bet even if lots doesn't go quite to plan. Yeah. Yeah, some good some good stuff in there. I think it's very hard to simulate something so accurate from a statistical point of view about expected dividends. 
over a three-month period, let alone 12-month period. I think what is true, you have to continuously alter your forecast. You can't just say Rashford's going to return this much over the next 10 years or one year or twelve or 18 months or, or 36 months. You have to kind of like continuously uh, adjust your forecast. Yeah, I t- totally, totally agree with that. You know, circumstances can change very, very quickly, obviously. I, I think that you know, we talked about this a few times, but the process being really important. And, and even if you're just putting that level of thought into it and doing that level of research, you know, that is going to help you to make a better decision, um, obviously. But um, I think that for me is, is one of the really interesting things about FI as well is, is that you know, that research to me is really interesting. And it's just a bit like when you're trying to find a gem on you know, Football Manager and it's it's that, that research is, is really rewarding in itself. So I don't see that as a, a, as a negative thing at all. I see that as actually one of the perks of Football Index. And it's something which I, I've really enjoyed over the sort of year of, of really putting a lot of time into it is that you know, I've just learned so much more about you know, lo- lots of different elements of football itself. You know, I thought I, I knew a lot about football, but once you kind of really start to delve into the, the intricacies of the stats and the advanced metrics, you know, you, you, you realise perhaps that there's, there's quite a lot you didn't really understand in the first place. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, question here from Perry on the Discord again. How do you value a player and decide your exit point? With this in mind, who has been your favourite short-term hold and current long-term dividend earner? So you've kind of talked about the valuation of player. What about exit points? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, exit points is something that, you know, I definitely struggled with in the past and uh, is something that I have got better at, but is, is something I can still get a lot a lot better at. I mean, now I try to have a really clear exit point based on price or an event and uh, some of these are more precise, precise than others, I suppose. Uh, I think when I, you know, around sort of the new year, when I really sort of started to get more into it, I was very much a long-term trader and, and really I've tried to sort of branch out um, because I think there's lots of money to be made, as I've sort of mentioned earlier. And I think it's really important as well to sort of to try and adapt and evolve your skill set. And, and that would improve your earning potential. And, you know, not just to sort of sit pretty on what is going well for you, but always to sort of try and do a few different things. So um, one, one of those, I suppose, that's worked out well for me recently in terms of a short term hold is was 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 buying Son um, on that day that he had that monster day and won the Star Man and it was a double IPDs and he scored loads of goals, um, you know and, and and that was something which I was really influenced by talking to another trader which is you know something which I think I've done quite a lot of during the last six months and it's something which has really helped me um, develop my understanding of of the platform and 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 find different ways of making money and, and it was kind of on his recommendation really we talked about kind of exit strategy and what would be a good price point and really just doing the maps you know at what point would we, what kind of return we'd be happy with and when we'd be selling you know and of course the very next day his, his price absolutely plummeted uh you know it was at, at three pounds and i think it went down to under two but you know almost within uh, you know, 10 minutes of the, the 7.30 opening. Um, but we just sort of sat sat on it and sat on it until until this, this weekend had just passed and, you know, sold him for about a 20% profit. So, you know, then that didn't work out brilliantly because obviously he scored the first goal and he went up to three pounds again. So, but the point being, I suppose, is that I kind of had a clear idea in my mind of when I was going to exit at around 260 and I just patiently waited until that time and, and, and then did that. So, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to sort of um, to skin a cat, I suppose. And I think that, you know, trying to find different ways of making money is, is, is obviously the, the key. And, and dipping into different strategies is also rewarding from a, from a developmental point of view. 
Um, in terms of you know the, the the long term, I'd say you know Sancho is still is still the the big big div returner for me, um, or certainly have been you know until very recently. And uh, long may it continue. I'm expecting lots more to come from him in the the next few years. Nice. Nice. Uh, got a question here from Lord Bentner, FI. Uh, great guest. People have mentioned previously about a boom of new users in January this year. I was one. Uh, I joined having not consciously heard about FI before, but through a close friend's recommendation. But why do you think there was a boom in January? And can FI do it again this January coming? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure. So I don't think I was you know, hugely aware of of exactly, you know, what was prompting it. You know, there was definitely an increase in, in sort of the users and the number of new Twitter accounts and stuff like that. I think, you know, if I, you might know this better than I do, but I think there was quite a big advertising push over Christmas period. And obviously lots of people are at home during the Christmas period and watching a lot more sport and a lot more TV. And of course, you know, the, game, the games come really thick and fast, which, which certainly helps too. So I think that's probably, um, you know, behind it I, I can't remember if there was a deposit bonus around that time as well or not i don't know if you remember uh, i think there was the uh try january um offer which did really really well not last jam the jam before um I, I guess the thing to think about here is like this isn't like any other january right um it's it's a situation that no one's ever been in uh from a company standpoint especially from like a, a digital company standpoint so it's kind of like you know RFI going to have more um, compliance related things around gambling with COVID in mind when the economy is depressed, when GDP is falling, etc. Um, are they going to be able to attract as many users or is there going to be a flip side where there is going to be quite a few people that have actually done financially better during COVID, whether it's because they've saved more money or spent less money? Um, either way and they're like well I'm a big football fan and I I like this kind of idea of uh, trading footballers or whatever can they kind of also tackle that side of things um, it's going to be really interesting next 12 months but around how if I target and acquire new customers isn't it yeah, I mean, obviously, if FI do their bit with NASDAQ and that that goes really well and you know, the order books is properly running and, you know, the momentum is really positive on the, you know, not just on the timeline, but in terms of the direction of the products. And then obviously next year can be an absolutely ridiculously good year for FI. You know, you've got the big summer tournaments, you've got, you know, the dividends are so enticing and, you know, it's, it's, you can see it snowballing very, very, very quickly. I mean, the points you raise about, you know, people's uh, level of disposable income, of course, are, are, are absolutely valid. And for some, for some people, it's going to be, you know, they're not going to have that money to spend, but, but equally, potentially, you have others who almost fill that void based on, you know, the good fortune they're in. I mean, I know myself, obviously, in a, in a, in a job which is, uh, my job security is, is excellent. I'm very fortunate. So, I've had a lot more money this this year that I could that I could invest in FI. Um, you know, when I was working from home and stuff, and not travelling in, and you know, not not going out as much, it, it just meant I could use that spare money. So it'll be a really interesting year for FI. I mean, certainly they've got uh, they've got to do their bit, and I'm, I'm really hope I really hope they do because it's undoubtedly a brilliant product. But we we have to kind of get that you know that uh, that positive momentum going. For sure. I mean, the other thing is that I picked up on while you're speaking there it's like it's all good and well having positive momentum on the timeline but we also need positive trajectory for the 
the product, which I guess if you're looking at it in the cold light of day, currently we're in a bit of a, a limbo situation with, oh, what are FI going to do now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that 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 is sometimes the frustration of it, isn't it? Because you you are, uh, you know, you're, you're that uncertainty, I suppose, is 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 what is what kind of holds people back sometimes from piling more money in as well. I mean, I think that you know there was there was a question, you know, it's a question about the PD matrix and stuff like that. To me, like the the main thing I would do is is once we get you know these order books in, is just just leave things alone. You know. What, what I really think we need is a period of stasis and just to, and just to, and, and not to have any, anything really happening, which is going to spook people or, or kind of create that sense of a, yeah, of nervousness really. So I, I'd really advocate, you know, really trying to just keep the, 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 the platform as, as uh, static as possible um, because, you know, let's be honest, it's confusing enough as it is in some respects and uh, keeping it as simple as possible and having that sense of stability is I think what will, entice traders to really you know to really invest pretty heavily mm. uh, j-a-f-i uh, do you think mb holds are dead this year <laughs> limited number of media days until the season ends then euros and then a summer where messi neymar mbappe bale and sancho could all be moving clubs and fighting over mb uh, in short, no, uh, I don't think MB holds are, are dead. I mean, I think that yeah, the the point is, you know, I haven't been away and sort of checked, you know, how exactly how many media days we've got, and if it's particularly any anything different. But you know, I think the MB will be still be a great returner. Um, you know, those hybrid players are you know the most expensive for a reason. I suppose one thing which is really interesting to think about is is the speed and order in which those deals get done. Because that's going to have a massive impact on, on prices, you know. Um, so some of those deals, you know, for example, I was thinking about in the summer when Chelsea were just buying, you know, players basically every single day. Those players' media returns were compromised by the frequency and speed of the deals. Um, so, absolutely, you know, having that sense of marquee players moving next summer, potentially, you know, Sancho, Mbappe, Haaland, etc., that's potentially huge for the platform. But, uh, you know, the, the longer those deals get drawn out or exactly when they happen, if they're separate from one another, if they overlap each other, that's going to have a big impact on uh, how much those players return. So that would be, be something to look out for. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, really, about the element of luck sometimes involved in FI. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to think about, isn't it? You know, we don't exactly know how many media days they're going to be. Um, we probably know that FI are going to run a promotion on media days. So there is going to be so much media paid out between now and the end of next transfer window in the summer. Uh, I think it's safe to say that MB holds aren't dead. And I think a lot of people forget, you know, MB, MB player or MB players, that's the wrong phrase, terminology. It's the timeline taking control of my brain. Players can win MB every single day. Um, so it's it's yeah. one of those things that people need to remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw, I don't know if you saw today, Perry, Perry put out a really Yeah, good really good thread, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that, that to me, you know, I, I, I kind of leaned, I certainly wasn't really somebody who bought into media a lot when I first started, but once I kind of um, you know, got more and more into the platform and understood its sort of nuances more, to me, just the kind of the lack of, well, not the lack of, but the, the, it's much more predictable. Um, and, and that's that's why it's such a, a, a lucrative place to put your money, in my opinion. Mm. 
Uh, Robin Ellis here. Who is a better three-year hold, Haaland or Messi? What is the likelihood we see Mbappe move to the Premier League rather than Real Madrid next year? And could we see the biggest ever media buzz craze next summer? The Sanchez saga, Haaland transfer clause activated apparently for 61 million. Messi to City, Mbappe move. So we've answered the second half of that kind of. In terms of three-year hold, Haaland or Messi? And then uh, let's talk a little bit about Mbappe. Yeah, I mean... For me, I, I wouldn't hold Messi for three years. You know, if we're talking about you know answering the questions purest terms. Who would I want to hold for three years? I, I would personally hold Haaland. If I had the option of holding, you know, one for twelve months, eighteen months, I, I would choose Messi because I mean, you know, I don't I don't hold either of these players, but I could see you know Messi doing four pounds in dibs this this year, and you know you could see his price rising in terms of the links he'd get with City again. And we saw what happened in the summer, you know, with that kind of a the market really kind of starting to move towards him. Um, but I suppose you know if you had him for three years, you'd be constantly nervous about an MLS move. Uh, and you know, and also at that at that age, you know, he's been incredibly durable really throughout his career. But you're one serious injury away from disaster. So for me, you know, Messi is a you know high risk, high reward hold. Certainly of a three year period, you know, um, over one year period, you could argue that you know the, the reward is much less than much better than the risk. In terms of Haaland, you know, you've got for three year hold, you've got the big transfer saga is is coming. Of course, he's you know incredibly. Yeah, young player is very very elite player, and you've got that like you know pretty decent chance of him turning up in the Premier League. So you know the cap app you would get there, and the chance that you know you've got multiple exit points or points where you can recycle very easily. He's comparatively lower risk in in, in my opinion, and I would always kind of factor in the risk as as being quite a, a key part of the decision making process for me personally. Awesome, nice nice answer there. Um... And Mbappe, I mean, is a, is a really interesting one. Uh, Real Madrid seemed to be quite rocky this season, even last season, even though they won the Liga. Um, do you think he's destined for Spain or could it be Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean Madrid definitely, uh, you know, they're a very sort of turgid team last year. I watched them quite a lot because I had a couple of Madrid players and, you know, they were just so predictable and very one-paced um, and... They had very clear patterns of play that they were just following, repeating over and over again, and, and you know relied really on quite a bit on set pieces, on set pieces, but also on, on you know, keeping a lot of clean sheets and plenty of penalties were coming there and coming their way as well. I think Ramos, Ramos scored about 14 goals last season, so I, I think they they could definitely do with you know somebody like Mbappe. I mean, well, you know, let's be honest, who couldn't do with someone like Mbappe? But they they need some cutting edge anyway. Um, you know, you can't really see him going to Barcelona uh, just be, just from a financial point of view. You know, everything you read about them, they're they're financially struggling. Real Madrid obviously didn't do anything this summer, did they at all? I mean, I, I don't literally think they bought. I don't think they bought literally one player. Um, so they were obviously they're obviously keeping their powder dry uh, for next year. You know, knowing that this this absolute premium youth talent on the market, whether it's a Haaland, whether it's an Mbappe, or whether it's whether it's Sancho. Um, so you, you you know you've obviously got the French connection there, but the way you know the way Madrid have started the season, they've got. I mean, the last time I checked, they were losing three 0 tonight at half time. So they they they're not having a very good time of things. So you know potentially will Zidane even be there next summer? Who knows? I mean, there's obviously been quite a bit of links to to the Premiership. You know, you, you, you kind of keep reading up. You know, the connection obviously to Liverpool and 
even even you know some potentially nonsense links. But to Man, to Man United, I mean, it would be incredible incredible for the index if uh, if Mbappe had come to the Premier League. Um, so, so who knows? I mean, it would be yeah, it'd be, be fantastic. So obviously, uh, as an Mbappe holder, I would I would really love him to to go to uh, well I wanted to get transfer first and foremost but I, I would love him to come to the Premier League but I think if he went to Madrid that would be really interesting as well to sort of see his you know PB game kind of um, you know unimpinged by playing with Neymar who is obviously a, a great PB player but of course has a pretty detrimental effect on um, Mbappe's uh, PB game hmm. uh, Got a question here from Edwin Killers in depth from the forum change discord uh, what changes if any do you think there are likely to be made to the PB matrix next season and which players do you think will benefit be adversely affected as a result Well I'm just going to keep this one short I mean I, I just really hope there's absolutely no changes to the PB matrix um, I'm, I'm one of those people who would just say just just leave it alone you know is it is it absolutely perfect no but in my opinion you know, it's uh, way down the list of issues of FI. And, you know, certainly it's something that other people have said, but it's something that I, I really believe in <laughs> is, uh, is that really you've got to just do one thing at a time, do it really well, rather than messing around with things that are, you know, functioning pretty well and don't need, uh, don't need that attention at this point in time. Yeah, I think, you know, it's one of those things, right? Like... <sighs> August next season, uh, next August isn't actually that far away now, right? It's, uh, it's what is it, 10 months from now? So you, if you're asking me right now, do I think the PV matrix is going to change in 10 months? I'd probably say no, uh, just because we have so much change to come over the next three to six months that I think it, it might just be a, two ste- a step too far. I mean, I go back to what you said earlier um, about wanting stability you know, that would be a perfect chance for FI to to make it more stable for uh, after NASDAQ comes in to then just be like, well, this is what we have for the next 18 months, but we might revisit it at that point. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, you know, obviously we want the media to pick up things better, the media minds to improve, but, you know, fundamentally, what is my frustration with Football Index? It's nothing to do with, you know, oh, I think he should have won this week and he didn't. That That is like inconsequential really in terms of my enjoyment of the platform you know my my enjoyment of the platform is is plentiful but like you know in terms of what frustrates me it's it's the constant tinkering it's the mess the messing around and uh you know fiddling with stuff that you just don't think needs fiddling with or being slow to deliver on things which you think do need uh, do, do need amending and 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 that's what i would just just say is just you know get get the key things that have been promising for a while sorted and you know, leave other things as as they are, which aren't too problematic. And that will see, in my opinion, you know, a lot of a lot of faith in, um, restored in in people who use the platform, and a lot more money being put into it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be one of those things that's going to be talked about, I suppose, rightly or wrongly, between now and then. But let's see. Uh, Cork MIB here. Uh, January transfer window, Liverpool, United, Chelsea and Spurs all need centre-back. City need a full-back. With so much defensive frailties into the top four, thoughts on big signings being completed in January and who are the likely targets? Yeah, it's 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 always, obviously, January is always a really difficult time to buy and to, to get quality. You know, you often have to really, really overpay. You know, there's no doubt this, you know, we, we all know that the... the uh, the, the top teams, the quality of their defences is is a 
is is a problem. Um, and so you can, you can see teams being forced into to making some big buys. Um, you know who that would be. I, it's it's tricky to say. I mean, I think the two centre backs at Sevilla are both really good. Um, you know, Kounde and Carlos. I think that every, every time I've watched them, I've been really impressed. You know, uh, particularly against Man United, I thought they, they both played really really well. Um, I don't think he'll be for sale, but I mean, I watched uh, I watched a Villa match against Leicester um, on Sunday, and Fafana looked ridiculous. I mean, I, I I'd only seen him once or twice, but he he was genuinely brilliant. And I was you know I was thinking, wow, if Arsenal chose Saliba over him, you know, Saliba's got to be they must really rate Saliba because Fafana looked genuinely a really super top tier player. So. I don't think he'll necessarily be available, but I'll tell you what, if he carries on playing like that, I'd, if I was one of the top clubs, I'd be I'd be looking very closely, closely at him. Yeah, both both really highly rated him and Saliba. Um, I guess they're just so young. It, it, it's only, it's going to be unfair to judge them now. We'll see how they're doing in the next, you know, uh, 12 months or, or so. Jules Kunde, yeah, looks, looks really promising. It's a bit... Sevilla. Um, what one that's interesting that I think a lot of people might start looking at. I don't know why this is like a gut instinct thing, but uh, Jason Denayer at Leon, who starts for Belgium most of the time. I don't actually think he's that good, but I, I just really do think he's one of those players that will end up making one of those like big transfers, and you'll be like, ah, oh, it's a bit strange, but it will happen. Um, yeah, he's solid. He's solid, isn't he? He's, he's, he's physically imposing. You know, he's, he's all right, sort of yeah. does all the basics. Does all the basics, doesn't he? Basically, pretty well. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones. I mean. Um, I mean, if, if potentially, you know, if, 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 of course, like Villa's defence has been brilliant, you know. Tyrone Mings, I think, is a quality centre half. Well, I mean, I think Concert is, yeah. I think Concert's better than okay. Mings personally. Um, but, but, you know, I, you know, we've only let in two goals in the first five games. I mean, compared to, everyone, the first four, four games for us, sorry, compared to everyone else, you know, we, we've been, we've had three clean sheets and our defence was brilliant when we, uh, when we came back from, you know, Project Restart. And I, I think that, Part, I mean, Matt Target, I think, is pretty useless, but Matty Cashy, who we bought, is really, really good. And Concer and Mings are, are, are both, for me, you know, better than quite a lot of, you know, the supposed big teams um, starting centre backs. So it's like anything, isn't it? If your team starts to do particularly well, well, if, you, if you're a team like Aston Villa, we start to worry straight away that, you know, who's going to be sniffing around and potentially taking them. So, I, you know, if we continue to have a really strong defence and they're English players and if they're young you can you can see them being quite um, attractive to the clubs uh, I mean it's one of those things that I think is going to definitely happen um, Connor Cody to Liverpool I think that's the one isn't it uh, former Scouse guy but um, uh, I think that'll be one that might happen but let's see it'll be interesting between now and, and January isn't it well I think that's all we've got time for uh, thank you so much for coming on mate uh, where can people find out more about you uh, I'm on Twitter, cbarker81. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for coming on again. Uh, if you guys are commuting right now, uh, thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, uh, wear a mask, wash your hands, all that good stuff. If you're not commuting, shout out to the Not Commute queue. Uh, again, sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. Uh, there were obviously quite a few. And remember, Football Linux is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Have a great day and see you next week.